0: Hi, and welcome, or welcome back to the Southside Baptist Church podcast. Before his death, Jesus took the bread and wine associated with the Passover meal and revealed a deeper meaning. This ancient ritual had been a way to remind Jews how God had delivered their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. But now, Jesus began to show how this bread and wine weren't just pointing back. They were pointing ahead to an event that was just about to take place an event that would redeem all mankind from slavery to sin and death, an event that would secure eternal freedom for all who would accept it. Join us during our With This Cup series that explores the meaning of the Lord's Supper and how the timeless meaning of this ancient meal still has power today.
1: We wanted to take this opportunity during this season, which the church is traditionally known as Lent, to get out of our normal routine and to look at something that if you've been in church much, you have probably participated in, the Lord's Supper, uh, but maybe we haven't given it the attention or the thought uh, that we should. And so for four weeks, we are looking at the Lord's Supper and how the Lord's Supper is like a prism through which we can see and understand the gospel. And the gospel is in its most basic form, uh, can be summarized in 30 words. And so these 30 words are our summary of the gospel and we're going to just say it together. It'll be on the screen so you can recite it with us. And here it is. Jesus is God with us. Come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, shut down religion so we can share in God's life. Okay. So that is the basic message of the gospel. Jesus came to be with us, God with us, and he came to do four things. And so each week we're taking the communion cup and we're looking in a different direction to remember these gifts of the gospel. So several, a couple weeks ago we, looked, we took this cup and we looked back and we remembered how Jesus died on the cross to show us God's love for us. So we take this cup and we look back to remember God's love. Now last week we took this cup and we looked within To remember our need for a savior. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we take this cup and we evaluate the condition of our own heart our soul, and we recognize our need for a Savior. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to take this cup and we're going to look around. Because when Jesus served this cup, he didn't just serve it to one disciple at a time. He served it to the disciples together. And when they were sitting together, it was not like da Vinci. All due respect to Leonardo da Vinci, they were not sitting in a straight line. They were sitting around so that they could see one another and they shared this common cup, this common loaf of bread together. In fact, if you think about the word communion, the word communion and the word community, they have something in common. And even the word common has it there. Do you see it? A little little English lesson for you at 8.30 in the morning. But this idea of being together, communion and community, how important it is for us to know and understand that when we take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. We're remembering our need for a Savior, but we're also acknowledging that God has put us in a community and we share this cup together. It draws us together. People from all kinds of backgrounds, different histories, different ethnicities, different languages. We come together and we're drawn together through our unity in Christ in that common cup. Now today we are celebrating this, uh, not as many at this service, but at 11 o'clock it probably will be pretty chaotic because we are having all of our kids, including the preschoolers, with us because of how important it is for us to understand and model for them what this story is all about. And even the little exercise That you went through earlier is is a great opportunity for us to teach our friends and our neighbors and even the next generation what it means, uh, what the gospel is all about, and what Christ has done for us. So, with this cup, we're gonna look around and we're gonna look at those not only who are sitting with us now, but we're gonna look at those who have gone before us, we're gonna look at those who are beside us. And we're going to look at those who will follow us. So first, let's take just a minute. If you are a note taker, your communication card has in it a place for you to take notes. You are welcome to do that. um, Or you can just listen along. But we are going to take this cup and we're going to look around at those who have gone before. Now, we're going to do this by looking at a letter that Paul wrote to one of the very earliest churches as they were trying to figure figure out what all this meant. So if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We're going to put it on the screens as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And here's what Paul said to this church as they are trying to figure out what the gospel is all about, what the Lord's Supper is all about, and this is a letter he wrote to them. He said this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud if you don't know the Old Testament stories, this may seem confusing. But for everybody who was reading this, or who was with Jesus at the time, uh, who was who was hearing reading Paul's letter, most of the Jews understood the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt through the desert, and so Paul is pointing them back towards their forefathers. And he's basically saying they had God with them. God was all around them. They were baptized in the presence of God, and yet they totally blew it. They totally didn't get it. So look at verse 6, what he says, because this is really important. And, And in fact, you may think, well, what does this have to do with me? Because my ancestors, I mean, you have to go back thousands of years to even think, am I even related to anybody who Paul's talking about? They weren't my fathers. But listen to this, because I guarantee this relates to your story somehow. Now, these things that took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So so Paul is describing all the ways that the children of Israel as they were leaving Egypt failed. He talked about, in verse 7 through 10, grumbling and idolatry and sexual immorality. And, And here's what is important for us to know today. We all have some kind of spiritual heritage. Now, you may think, well, my parents didn't go to church, my grandparents didn't go to church, it doesn't matter, that's still your spiritual heritage. You have gained some spiritual heritage from somebody in your family. For some of you, it's a great spiritual heritage, and you were raised knowing and understanding what Christ has done for you. You can't even remember a time when you didn't know Jesus. For others, that's not your story at all. But here's here's what's so cool, is the Bible tells us consistently from beginning to end that no matter what your spiritual heritage is, God can use that spiritual, spiritual heritage to teach you something today if you will just recognize it. And instead of say, saying, well, if only I'd had these kind of parents or grandparents, my life might be different. Instead, you recognize, no, I can learn even from the mistakes of the people who've gone before me. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I did not come from a family that was really involved in church. In fact, back through my family history, there are generations and generations of brokenness and addiction and all kinds of pain and all kinds of struggle. My uh, grandfather, my my mom's dad, um, actually left, abandoned his family, my grandmother, with six kids. They had never gone to church. They didn't. They had a grandmother who uh, who was a believer, but she wasn't uh, super involved in their life at that time, and so it was a very difficult situation for my my mom and for her siblings. Uh, My dad's spiritual heritage is the same. There really wasn't any believer on his side of the family either. And and as they were going through life, they went through a lot of difficult things. And as I look back, I I learn a lot from what they experienced. I can look back and see what it looks like, what brokenness looks like in my own family. I don't have to look back very far. But my uncle, my mom's uh, brother... Uh, when, when I was just a, a boy of about five, uh, my mom was a single mother. Um, she was 20 years old, so you can do the math there. <laughs> my uncle, her uncle... Our, her brother was 18 years old. We were all living together in one house in a little farm town. My uncle was a senior in high school. I was in kindergarten. It's all in one school. But my uncle used to work after school at a farmer's at this, for this farmer in town. And one day, that farmer, Mr. Jackson, shared the gospel with my uncle. Now, I don't think he shared the 30 words that we have, but that's the basic story, that Jesus uh, is God with us, that he came to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, shut down religion so we can share in God's God's life. My uncle believed that message. It transformed his life. My uncle shared with my mother. And I remember the day my mom was baptized because church was a new experience for me. Here I am five years old and we start going to church on Sundays. And I remember sitting in the pew, looking up there, not understanding anything anybody was saying, but I remember The morning my mom got baptized. That's a spiritual heritage. You all have a spiritual heritage as well. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to take just a few minutes and discuss with those around your table the questions that your table host has, and then we'll get back together and go on to the next point. So let's take a look at what, what Paul says next in verse 11. Here's what he says. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So there you see it, Paul's saying, all those things, even the negative things that happened to them in the desert were an example. They've been written down and preserved for our instruction all these years later. That's still true for us today. On whom the end of the age has come. Now, what Paul means by that is not the apocalypse, not the end times as in some, some sci fi movie. What he's talking about is the end times, the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament had been telling them about, the coming of Jesus. So, that's what he's talking about. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be aware. Be watchful. Watch out for those family patterns and and make sure that you're not falling into the same mistakes your forefathers made. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So here's a question for you. Have you made peace with the example of your fathers and your mothers. Now, now what I mean by that is sometimes we can look back and we think about things that happened in our past and we think about them with a lot of shame and regret and we actually try to forget them and not think about them. In fact, God may want you to use even the hurtful things to remember and know and learn and be able to grow from it. Are you unknowingly making the same mistakes your ancestors made? Generation after generation continue to make the same mistakes over and over again because they're unwilling to look back and see, see the negative example to learn from it and gain wisdom which comes from the Lord in order to grow and to change. See, they may have left you a terrible example You may feel like they did not set you up for spiritual success, but God says that there is no temptation that you face, no matter how many generations of your family has struggled with whatever that temptation is, that is not common to everyone, and he will make a way for you to be able to endure it. So we look at those behind us. And we try to learn from their spiritual example, the positive and the negative, as we go forward in our relationship with God. The second thing Paul tells us to do is that with this cup, when we come to the communion table, we look around at those who are beside us. Look what he says in verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, and they would have known he was talking about specifically about the communion cup, is not a participation, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. When Jesus took the bread, he broke it and he shared it with the disciples. And it was symbolic, not just of his body being broken, certainly that's true, But of all the pieces being distributed to all the people at the table, the people who were with him, it was binding them together in that common experience. Broken relationships can be reunited through the bonds that we find in Jesus Christ. That God actually is not just in the business of reconciling us to himself. He's in the business of reconciling us to each other. And as we come to the communion table, as we come to the Lord's Supper table, we're reminded that we can be brought back together. And Paul gives us the key for how that happens. Look at verse 23 and 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, here's what Paul is saying to these Christians, because some of them are a little confused because they have heard the message that, you know what, we're no longer bound by the law of Moses, that Jesus has fulfilled the law and he has set us free. And therefore, they were living freely. They were doing anything they wanted to do without consideration. But Paul says that's not a good idea. Because you're not taking into consideration that everything you do may not be helpful. It may not be used to build each other up. Because Jesus gave us one law. And that was that we were to love God and we're to love others. So what does love require of me? The Corinthians weren't asking that question anymore. What does love require of me? And so Paul gives this really practical example in verse 24. Let's look at it. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. If any of the unbelievers invite you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, the reason this is such a big deal is because the Jews had very strict dietary laws. And so all these people who come to faith in Christ were used to abstaining from all kinds of good food, like lobster and shrimp. I mean, all the food that we love so much, and that's really expensive, they could not eat that food because it was unlawful. But what Paul is saying is, hey, listen, don't worry about it. If you're in the meat market and you're buying, just buy what's there. Don't worry about it. If you're going to a friend's house and they invite you over, one of your neighbors, go over, participate. It's okay. It's, it's, it's all right. Then he goes on. But, but, and this is an important but, that part is you're no longer bound by the law. This next part is how we're bound to each other who are around us. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, meaning like a pagan ritual, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Now, what Paul's basically saying is, if you're in the meat market, and there's a person who says, hey... aren't you a Christian, you probably shouldn't buy that, and it becomes a point of conscience for the other person, then you can just abstain, not because you have to, not because you're required to, but because you're recognizing, in another passage you said, somebody who may have a weaker faith, and so you don't participate in order to protect that person's conscience and to protect the witness. Now, he's not saying be a hypocrite. What he is saying is you have been set free, but your freedom has limits. Your freedom is limited based on the people who are around you, based on your thoughtfulness of the spiritual condition of those who are around you. And so some things that you may participate in freely, you may choose not to because it would be confusing to an unbeliever or it would be confusing to uh, to a young believer who's around you. I had a seminary professor um, who, Calvin Miller, some of you may have read uh, some of Dr. Miller's works. He's a, he's a great writer and he was, uh, he was a very eccentric guy. He he planted and, uh, and pastored a church for many, many years in Nebraska before he came to Southwestern. And, and Dr. Miller tells this story about um, a very uptight deacon that he had in his church. And he was the chairman of the deacons, and he was a straight-laced guy. Like, he followed the rule. And Dr. Miller understood and knew how this guy was, you know, was very, much, um, very much legalistic about all the, all the teachings of the Old Testament. And he tried to apply everything even into the New Testament. One day he said that he was going to uh, dinner with a community leader, um, and they were going to a very nice restaurant. And this community leader was not a believer. Doctor Miller had been praying for this guy for years and years and years, and he had been actually sharing the gospel with him. And so this chairman of the deacons was going with him to this dinner with this with this fella. They were meeting at this really nice restaurant. So they sit down at the table, and, and they're talking. And uh, the, 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 the waiter comes around, and the, the guy, the community leader was already there. He would already ordered wine for the table. And so Dr. Miller gets there, and there are wine glasses set with wine already poured in it. And Dr. Miller immediately knows, oh, this guy is going to go ballistic. Like, he's going to have a fit. Because they were, you know, they were Baptists that don't drink or don't smoke or don't dance or don't do. You know, they, they were Baptists. They were the don't-do kind of Baptists. That's the kind. So, so he's like, this guy is going to have a fit. But I have been working so hard to share with this guy i don't want my legalistic deacon chairman to blow all this time i've invested so dr miller he said he walks up to the table this guy's sitting there sipping his wine dr miller walks up he sees the chairman of the deacons kind of bowing up dr miller grabs the glass of wine and starts chugging it before he can say a word the chairman of the deacons was so shocked he just went into silence so then they sit down at the table and they, they, they order their meal. You know, the chairman of the deacon is, is still stunned. He's probably plotting how to fire Dr. Miller at this point. They, they're sitting at the table. <clears throat> the meal is served. And uh, the, the fellow's talking. He takes his fork up. He takes and he immediately grabs a, you know grabs some, something off his plate and sticks it in his mouth and starts. But he sees again the chairman of the deacon because they didn't what? what? They didn't pray before they ate. So Dr. Miller's seen it. He see, here it comes again. So Dr. Miller takes his fork, gr- gets a big bite of meat, and puts it in his mouth and starts chomping. So when the chairman of the deacon said, Hey, shouldn't we pray? Dr. Miller's like, mm, Yeah, we should probably pray. Let's do that. Yes. Now, what was Dr. Miller, was Dr. Miller being a hypocrite? Absolutely not. He was not being a hypocrite. But what he was doing was he was recognizing how his, he was free. He wasn't bound. He, it was okay for him to drink a have some wine it was okay for him to eat a meal without praying but what he recognized in that moment was respecting and loving that unbeliever in that case in order and not to create any additional obstacles to the gospel was really really important and so he made himself an example as he shared the gospel with him here's the question for you how have you how people around you encouraged your faith at your tables answer question two and three together with your table host and then we'll get back together who have gone before us, we look around and we see those who are beside us, and finally with this cup, we look around at those who will follow after us. So those who came before us, those who are beside us, and those who come after us. Look what Paul said next, verse Corinthians ten thirty one. so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jew or to Greek or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. See, as there were people sharing this meal before we were at the table, so there will be people who will share this meal at the table after we're gone. And what Paul is saying is let everything about your life, everything you do from what you eat to what you say to every action that you have be for the purpose of trying to draw people to the message, to the hope of Jesus Christ. Live your life in such a way that whatever you're doing, not just you're not just saving it for worship on Sunday, but you're living your life as an offering, as a worship offering to the Lord, because there are always people who are watching you. See, this meal doesn't just bind us together here in the present, but it connects us with those who've gone before us, and it continues to connect us with those who come after us. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? I don't know if you think about this when you take communion, but you are participating in something. You're participating in a meal that has continued from the time Jesus offered it in the upper room, as he took that Passover meal and assigned the new meaning to it. There has been a continual succession of people who believe in Jesus gathered around tables for the centuries. People in countries where they're doing it in the dark for fear of the government might come and arrest them. People who are doing it under trees in Africa. People who who have done it in great cathedrals, people down through the ages have shared this meal. It is our time right now as we share this meal, but it isn't just our time because it's about those who will come after us and the legacy that we leave. How faithful will we be to share the meaning of this meal with the generations that are yet to be born? How faithful will we be to live our lives in such a way that they point people to the truth Of the gospel. At Southside, we say that we are a multi generational church with a next generation vision. What that means is that we are a church that celebrates the fact that we have five generations worshiping together. But we recognize and know that the mission field is always the next generation. That we have to live our lives to leverage our stories, both the good and the bad, towards the future for people to know and understand the gospel. So I told you about Mr. Jackson sharing with my. um, with my uncle, my uncle sharing with my mom. We started going to church, and and I remember the day she was baptized, and then there's another worship service that I remember, and it was whenever that little church, however they decided to do communion, I don't know what rotation they used, but on this particular Sunday, I remember I would go to church with my mom and my uncle, and we would sit there in this one particular pew, and they would sit on either side of me, and my mom would always have some crayons or something for me to color on while I sat there and had to listen. And, and one day, um, it, I realized that uh, they were doing something really cool because um, it was snack time. They were passing out snacks in the worship service. this, now this is finally getting good. I've been wondering where the snacks were. So they've got this tray, and they're passing out these snacks, and I can see it, and we're sitting far enough back, I see what's going on. So I put my, my pencils down, my crayons down, and I'm paying attention finally, and here it comes. And the, the tray comes to my my mom, and my mom takes the tray, and she passes it over me to my uncle, and they didn't give me any of the crackers. I'm like, that's not fair. That's not even very nice, and so I'm asking, my mom's like, you know, trying to keep me quiet, so then they start passing out the Welch's grape juice, because again, good Baptist church, right? They start passing out the Welch's grape juice, and wouldn't you know, they did the same thing. They just passed that tray right over me, didn't give me any of it, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm really confused about this. And so, so finally, my mom says, just, we'll talk about it later. So we get in the car, and we're driving home from church that day. And, and, and this, is, this is really the first spiritual conversation I remember ever having with anybody, and even with my mom. So we're driving home that day, and, I, and mom said, the reason you couldn't take communion, Gary, is because you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and so this, is a, this meal is, uh, is a meaning that the body of Christ, that you accept Christ as your Savior, and, and the body that was broken for you and the blood that was poured out for you. And she tried the best she could as a new Christian herself to explain to a five or six-year-old little boy what it all meant. Now, here's why I tell you that story. Uh, because in that one story, uh, I can look back and I can remember and see how the gospel has affected my family, how it transformed it. I can look around and see how in that very moment the story and the message of the gospel as shared at the communion table was impacting my life. And then I look forward and I realize how after I received Christ as my Savior, how I have been been committed to seeing that message shared with future generations. Hopefully long after I'm gone and my name is forgotten, that message will continue to be shared. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to share in the Lord's Supper around the table. And your table host is going to guide you in that, read some scripture, pass the elements out, and then you're going to continue the conversation. Now, this is not a somber, silent Lord's Supper. In fact, I I think we've done a little disservice uh, to that first Lord's Supper by the way we practice it in silence because I think there was a lot of talking and sharing, maybe some crying, and yeah, there were moments of silence with some of the things Jesus said, but I think this was a meal they shared. So I want us to do it in that spirit as we share the elements. Your table host will guide you through it. Before they do, let me just pray for you. Father, we thank you today for the beauty of the Lord's Supper and how it draws us to look around at the body of Christ, Lord. The body of Christ through the ages. To those who've gone before, to those who are sitting around us at this table right now, and to those who will come after us, Lord, may we be found faithful to continue to share the hope and the love of Jesus, not just in the elements of the Lord's Supper, but through every aspect of our life. Lord, be glorified in this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen
0: thank you for listening. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast and download our free app by searching SSBC Jacks in the App Store or in Google Play. You can get access to our recent messages and keep up with all that's going on here at Southside. For directions, for service times, and information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.